0: let me invite you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 10 and your Bibles with me. Evan, can you put the screen all the way down? I prepared this for the other room. and Thank you. 2 Samuel chapter 10. Continuing our study in the books of Samuel. And we've come to... Uh, this chapter here. We have an expression in our culture, don't bite the hand that feeds you. And this expression reminds us that we ought to be grateful to the person who is doing good to us. It's not right for us to to, uh, lash back at someone who's doing good to us. But have you ever been on the other end of that? Have you been the one doing good to someone and They responded to you by biting your hand, figuratively. The expectation that we have when we do good to people is that they'll respond with appreciation and gratefulness. We don't don't need them to repay us for what we've done or even acknowledge our gift. But, But the worst response that they can give to us is to respond to our act of mercy with scorn or or disfavor. In chapter 9, David extends mercy to Jonathan's son Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth received it with humility and gratefulness. He did not bite the hand that fed him. He he was humble before David. He bowed down before him and said, "How could you choose someone like me?" But here in chapter 10, David is going to show mercy again to a different man, but he's not going to be received It's not going to be received well like it was with Mephibosheth. This man is going to respond with scorn and and actually attack David, who's trying to show him mercy. So let me read our text for us. I'll read the entire chapter beginning in verse 1. This is the word of God. Now it happened afterwards that the king of the Ammonites died and Hanan, his son, became king in his place. And then David said, I will show kindness to Hanan, the son of Nahash, just as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent some of his servants to console him concerning his father. But when David's servants came to the land of the Ammonites, the princes of the Ammonites said to Hanan their lord, Do you think that David is honoring your father because he has sent consolers to you? Has David not sent his servants to you in order to search the city, to spy it out, and to overthrow it? So Hanan took David's servants and shaved off half their beards and cut off their garments in the middle as far as their hips and sent them away. And when they told it to David, he sent to meet them, for the men were greatly humiliated. And the king said, Stay at Jericho until your beards grow, and then return. Now when the sons of Ammon saw that they had become odious to David... The sons of Ammon sent and hired the Arameans of Beth Rehob, and the Arameans of Zobah, twenty thousand foot soldiers, and the king of Maacah with one thousand men, and the men of Tob with twelve thousand men. When David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the army, the mighty men. The sons of Ammon came out and drew, in bat, drew up in battle array at the entrance of the city, while the Arameans of Zobah and of Rehob, and the men of Tob and Maacah were by themselves in the field. Now when Joab saw that the battle was set against them in front, And in the rear, he selected from all the choice men of Israel and arrayed them against the Arameans. But the remainder of the people he placed in the hand of Abishai, his brother, and he arrayed them against the sons of Ammon. He said, if the Arameans are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the sons of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will come to help you. Be strong and let us show ourselves courageous for the sake of our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight." So Joab and the people who were with him drew near to the battle against the Arameans and they fled before him. When the sons of Ammon saw that the Arameans fled, they also fled before Abishai and entered the city. Then Joab returned from fighting against the sons of Ammon and came to Jerusalem. When the Arameans saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they gathered themselves together and Hadadezer sent and brought out the Arameans who were beyond the river and they came to Helam and Shobak, the commander of the army of Hadadezer, led them. Now when it was told David, he gathered all Israel together and crossed the Jordan and came to Helam. And the Arameans arrayed themselves to meet David and fought against him. But the Arameans fled before Israel, and David killed 700 charioteers of the Arameans and 40,000 horsemen and struck down Shobak, the commander of their army, and he died there. When all the king's servants of Hadadezer saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Arameans feared to help the sons of Ammon anymore. David has experienced great mercy from God. And so he is happy to freely dispense mercy to other people. In chapter 7, remember, David wanted to build a house for God. He wanted to build a dwelling place for God so that God would dwell among his people. But God rejected his offer. And he said, David, you're not the one who makes plans for me. I'm the one who makes plans for you. And so you're not going to build a house for me, a dwelling place, but I'm going to build a house, a dynasty for you. That you will have, David, a family line that will remain on the throne forever. And David's response at the end of chapter 7 is similar to the response that we saw last week in chapter 9 with Mephibosheth. David responds to God's mercy With humility and gratefulness, he bows down before God and says, Who am I that you would choose someone like me to be your servant? He recognizes that from the time that he was young, that God had shown mercy to him in protecting him from a bear and a lion. And then when he was a young boy, protecting him from Goliath. And then later, protecting him from King Saul, who was after him. And then from the armies that were opposed to Israel. Time after time, God protected him. And David said, if that weren't enough, you have an addition to that now with this promise of a kingly line, you have promised to protect me forever. That you're going to show mercy to me not just from when I was young till now, but, but you're going to show blessing and, and mercy to me through, throughout, throughout my future. And the result of David properly recognizing God's mercy on him is that he is not stingy with his mercy on others. He's happy to dispense mercy to others who may not be deserving in his eyes. In chapter 8, God gives David success in battle and unity for the nation of Israel. Then in chapter 9, David gives an expression of this mercy that he's received from God. And he he does it to the person of Mephibosheth the grandson of Saul. He freely dispenses abundant mercy to Mephibosheth by saying, you're going to be like one of my sons. I'm going to give you the land that's near my kingdom, Jerusalem, so that you can eat with me, so that you can be treated like a son. And this was unusual as we saw a couple of weeks ago, and that is because in those days and really throughout much of history, kings often killed off their their nearest opponents, people who were nearest in line to the throne. And so Mephibosheth should have been one of them if if David were like any other secular king. But instead, David shows him mercy. He actually puts himself, David does, in a vulnerable position by taking someone who was once in the line of the king and bringing him near the house of the king, the palace. David shows mercy to him. And Mephibosheth responds like David responded to God. He responds with humility, falling down on his face, and gratefulness. So that makes sense. Someone who is given mercy responds with mercy to others. But what happens when a person rejects David's mercy, like what we see here in chapter 10? What happens when David, out of an expression of love from his heart, shows mercy to someone who's mourning the death of his father? What happens when he rejects that mercy? And that's what we're going to answer today by looking at the text. Notice the first four words. Now it happens. It happened afterwards. The statement at the beginning of verse one could be talking chronology. You no, know, it could be just working chronologically. We like to think that all the scripture at least the individual books are written in a chronological form, but that's not often the way that the scripture writers um, record what happened. They often do like we do, or you know when we do writing or You know, if you watch a movie, they often do flashbacks or kind of bounce around just to show the main idea. Happens in documentaries as well. That's what I think the author of Samuel is doing here. He's not necessarily giving us a chronological order that right after he showed mercy to, to Mephibosheth, now he shows mercy to Hanan. It's probably just like what the NIV has in the course of time. So at some point in David's rule as king, Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, died. And his son took his place. Nahash was the king of Ammon. Ammon was the land that's just east of the Jordan River and north of Moab. And so they were just outside the land of Israel and they were a perpetual enemy to Israel. And we met them in 1 Samuel 11 when really Saul's first victory was against this land of the Ammonites. They were trying to keep Israel from unifying and from, from maintaining their land, and so they attacked. And Saul, really, with the help of Jonathan uh, and, and the leadership of Jonathan, really uh, attacked the Ammonites and won. And the result was that Nahash submitted himself to the rule of Saul. Not, not that he became an Israelite, but, but that he became a vassal. He recognized his nation as a vassal nation to Israel. And notice the word that David uses here in verse 2. I will show kindness to Hanan, the son of Nahash, just as his father showed kindness to me. Now, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, that word should sound familiar to you because we saw that same word in chapter 9 and we saw that same word in chapter 7 talking about God's loyal love to David, God's covenant faithfulness to David. David showed that same covenant faithfulness, that same loyal love, that same kindness as it's translated here to Mephibosheth. And now what he's saying is, just as Nahash has been faithful to me, so I will be faithful to his family, his son. I will be covenantly faithful to him. So we see the, the generous extension of mercy here by David. Apparently what had happened that after Saul had died, Nahash continued to... Uh, he continued to follow through on his promise to be a vassal nation to the sovereign nation, Israel. He could have used that time, Nahash could have, the king of the Ammonites, to attack David. Instead, he kept sending tribute to Israel, kept allowing himself to be uh, under the rule of Israel and receive protection from them. And so David continues that covenant. He, he follows through on his his part of the deal, to be faithful to the king of Nahash. And when he finds out that Nahash dies, he decides that it would be good to continue to show loving kindness to the family of Nahash, the son, who would have been mourning the death of his father. So David shows this act of mercy to someone who may not deserve it. He sends servants to console Hanan regarding his father. In verse 2, But when these servants come to the Ammonite land, this generous extension of mercy is responded with rejection. The cold rejection of mercy in verses 3 through 5. The cold rejection of mercy. Hanan learns of David's act by way of his servants. But as messengers often do, they interpret what they think is going on. Instead of just stating the facts, David's servants came and brought you a gift. They want to mourn with you the death of your father. Instead of just saying that, they they effectively say in verse 3, Do you really think David has good motives in bringing you gifts? Do you really think David has good motives in sending messengers our way? Don't you think that he is setting us up? Don't you think that he's using this opportunity to spy on us? and to do further damage to our country, our nation. And so the, the messengers kind of of tilt Hanan toward a negative response. And Hanan responds in verse 4. says that he, he took David's servants and shaved off half their beards and cut off their garments in the middle as far as the hips. Hanan responds to David's act of mercy not with humility, and gratefulness, like David to God and Mephibosheth to David, but instead with rejection, a cold-hearted rejection. He shaves the beards, half of the beards of the servants, and then cuts off the bottom half of their robes and sends them on their way, exposes their nakedness, humiliates them. Hanan was sending a clear message to David that the sending of his messengers, which Hanan saw as spies, the sending of these messengers would not be tolerated. So David finds out in verse 5, and he says, You've been humiliated. Stay here until your beards grow back. You can stay here until you, so that you can avoid further humiliation. And if that weren't enough, if that weren't an evil enough act by Hanan, Hanan takes the, the knife that he sticks into the back of David and twists it a little bit to make it even worse, worse. And we see that in verses 6 through 14. The insolent recoil against mercy. Now, it doesn't say what David would have done if Hanan just left things as they were. David apparently just leaves things as they are and just continues to go about life. But Hannon realizes something in verse 6. He realizes that he and his people are odious in the sight of David. They are hateful. They're hated by the people of David. And so they decide that we need to protect our nation. And so they hire mercenary troops to help fight with them. They hire 20,000 foot soldiers of Maacah. And they hire, uh, 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 excuse me, of the Arameans or the Syrians, which are the land to the north of Israel. And then... 1000 men from Meaka and 12000 men from from Tob so 33000 men are hired to help with the Ammonites in attacking the Israelites and according to 1st Chronicles 19:6 it cost them 75000 pounds of precious metals 75000 pounds But David's mercy will not be rejected. In verses 7 and 8, David hears of this attack that's coming. And he gathers his army through this man, Joab. You remember Joab is the commander of the army. They gather the army together and they're going to defend themselves against this insolent king, this hateful King Hanan. And so all of Israel's army is gathered in one place. But because Ammon had gathered or hired more troops, they were able to, to have uh, really surround Israel with their troops. And the Ammonites were apparently on the south side of Israel where they had gathered, and, and the Arameans or the, the Syrians were on the north side. And they gather all around Israel, and Israel's in a very bad spot. And so Joab quickly has to make a strategy. In verses 9 through 14, he has a couple of options. He can retreat or he can try to fight to win. Instead of throwing in the towel, Joab decides that they need to fight. And he recognizes that they can't win if they just focus on one side of the attack. If they just focus on the north or on the south. They need to focus on both sides at the same time. They need to fight both fronts. The pathway to victory had to come through protecting themselves against the most dangerous threat, which were the Arameans. They were the skilled mercenary fighters, the Syrians. But at the same time, they couldn't put all of their forces up towards the north where, where the Syrians were fighting because they would, they would be unprotected in the south when the Ammonites would come after them. They'd be vulnerable. They had to fight both of them. And so Joab decides, we're going to take our best troops, which is me and some of the mighty men, we're going to go up and fight the Arameans. We're going to fight the greatest threats, and you guys all are going to stay down here and fight the Ammonites. And so he gathered his most valiant warriors and they fought. Notice his motive the, the faith, really, in his motivational speech in verses eleven and twelve. Joab said, If the Arameans are too strong for me, then you shall help me. So he's talking to Abishai, his brother, who's going to lead the, the other armor, the Army, the lesser, the weaker half of the army. If they're too strong for me, if you see us losing, then you need to come up and help us. But if we see you losing, we'll come and help you. So we're kind of, we want to have a balanced defense here. And then notice what he says here in verse 12. Be strong and let us show ourselves courageous for the sake of our people and for the cities of our God and may the Lord do what is good in His sight. Now, there's two things that you should recognize here. First, Joe recognizes that he has a responsibility to fight. He says, be strong and courageous. Win this battle for the sake of the people, for the sake of yourselves, for the sake of our land, for the sake of our God. Win this battle. You have to stand up and fight. But notice the second part that we cannot miss at the end of verse 12. May the Lord do what is good in his sight. So we have a responsibility to fight. That's the human responsibility side. But God is the one who ultimately is going to give the victory. Right? We plan for the day of the battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. And Joab recognized this. And Joab, as you know, from what we've studied of him so far, has not always acted with faith and mercy, has he? He murdered Abner when Abner was threatening the throne. Well, when Abner was really threatening to take his place under the rule of David, he murdered him. So, Joab's not the greatest of characters, but here, he speaks truth. We need to fight, and God has to give the victory. We need to fight, and God has to have the victory. We have responsibility, and God is sovereign. Friends, this is the nature of the Scripture's teaching on God's sovereignty and our responsibility. That These two things are never at war with one another, as if we have to have one or the other. C.H. Spurgeon, when asked how he could reconcile these two things that were opposed to each other, God's sovereignty and, and human responsibility, he said, I don't have to reconcile them, they're friends. Now, we might not understand how all they work together, but what we know in the Scriptures, they're often just listed right one after the other, like with the death of Jesus in Acts 2 and Acts 4. That that Jesus was delivered over to the evil men who would kill Him by the predetermined plan of God. So they're responsible for their actions in killing Jesus, but God was ultimately the one who planned it out. Joab recognized this. We have to do something. We can't just sit on our hands. But God's the one who has to determine if we're going to have the victory. So, the insolent recoil against mercy. And then, in verses 15 through 19, the final result of rejected mercy. Here, the the Syrians, the Arameans, saw that they were defeated. And so, uh, once the battle actually starts, Joab's winning. And he's winning against the hardest part of the battle, the Arameans. 20,000 strong. And so they reinforce their troops in order to avoid a counterattack or worse, required subjugation to Israel, making their situation even worse. David, in verses 17 and 18, meets them in one of these cities and they fight again. In verse 18, Israel wins again. And the result is, in verse 19, that the Arameans are forced to become servants to Israel. They're forced to become vassals to the sovereign nation Israel now. These cities that were once under the rule of Hadadezer, the king of Syria, are now under the rule of David. And they would have to give tribute to Israel while Israel would agree to protect them. You see, the Arameans went into this battle thinking, this is a guaranteed victory. I mean... We're not going to take all this money only to lose this battle. I mean, it's a waste for us to take all this money, 75,000 pounds of precious metal, just to lose. We're going to win, or otherwise we wouldn't be in the battle. We'll just let the Ammonites die. But instead of going in and coming out with a guaranteed victory, they lose handily and become vassals to Israel. And so we learn two main truths from this text. I can advance it there. First, we're reminded that those who accept mercy are dispensers of it. This is what I think the Scriptures are trying to teach us, trying to show us in chapters 7 through 10. And what we've also seen in Paul's letter to Titus, that those who accept mercy are dispensers of it to others. And we would do well to follow David and Mephibosheth's example That when we receive mercy, we don't bite the hand that feeds us. We fall down with humility and thanksgiving to the giver of mercy. We fall at the feet of God who liberally dispenses mercy and give Him thanksgiving for His loyal love. That's how we ought to respond when people show us mercy. And then, after we've humbled ourselves before God and have been grateful to God for His mercy, then we ought to be ones who are liberally dispensing it to others. Because those who actually receive mercy and acknowledge that mercy that, that they've received will liberally give it to, to others. Second, which is actually, the, I think, the theme of this text. And I saved it till now because I want you to see now that we've looked at the whole chapter. I think this is the theme of, of chapter 10. Those who reject the gift of mercy earn wrath from the giver of mercy. Here we have David showing Hesed loyal love to Mephibosheth, chapter 9, and Hesed loyal love to, to people outside of Israel, Hanan, in chapter 10. One man responds to David's loyal love, his covenant faithfulness, his loving kindness with humility and thankfulness, and the other rejects it and becomes the object of David's wrath. If you know what comes next in the story, Chapter 11. You have to wonder if the author of Samuel put this here in order to picture how David had a lapse in judgment. That David, yes, was a dispenser of mercy to Mephibosheth and to Hanan, but David would actually act more like Hanan in chapter 11 than he would Mephibosheth. Chapter 11, of course, is the chapter where David commits sin against God by having an immoral relationship with a woman and then killing her husband. And God's going to tell David at the end, actually in chapter 12, when Nathan comes to him, God's going to say to David, David, I gave you so much. I gave you protection. I gave you land. I gave you rule. And if that was not enough, I would have given you a lot more what you've done is a sin against me. You have spurned my gift of mercy by seeking pleasure apart from the giver of mercy. See, David would act like Hanan not too much longer after this episode. And praise God that, that we know the rest of the story beyond that. That David does not make that disastrous betrayal of God a pattern of his life. That, that David does not turn his fist against God and say, I'm done with you. In other words, David would not finally reject God's mercy. Instead, when confronted with his sin in chapter 12, David would respond with what we would expect David to respond with in, when he's received mercy, and that is humility... Contrition, repentance, and gratefulness to God. And that's more like it. That's more like what a believer ought to be doing. And so the point is that when we recognize God's grace, we must not bite the hand that feeds us. We must not spurn God's wrath, even if it's just for a short time. Even if it's just one simple lapse in judgment. Act as if we're entitled to His mercy. See, that's what happens is we slowly start to think that we deserve God's mercy. That God must pour out His grace on me because I've done so much for Him. Apart from Jesus, we are deserving of nothing but the full measure of God's wrath. We are not entitled to God's mercy. But God has been gracious to us, hasn't He? And the greatest expression of that is that He took the the record of our indebtedness against us and nailed it to the tree in the person of Jesus Christ, Colossians chapter 3. God has extended His hand of mercy to you in offering salvation and all the blessings that come with that in being in Christ. And here is the message for us tonight. We should not spurn His gift of mercy. We should not bite the hand that feeds us. We should respond to His mercy as those who understand the great treasure that we have and dispense it to others with liberality. And then when those times come, when we are exposed, when we have moved to the the mindset of entitlement when it comes to God's mercy and we have spurned God for His gift, When God exposes our sin, we ought to respond with repentance. We ought to confess our sin as sin and fall on Him for grace. God restores His people. God would restore David. He will restore David. But David also knew, and we know, that if we finally reject God's grace, if we finally and ultimately reject God's grace then we will become the objects of His wrath for all eternity. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. It is an eternally wonderful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God who has been assuaged by the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. What abundant mercy we have been shown how could we turn against the one who gives us that mercy? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reminder of your mercy. We have been in the position where we have tried to dispense mercy to others, and and they have responded with rejection. And so, Lord, in a small way, we... We know how You feel. But, Lord, how shameful of a, 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 is it of us to bite Your hand that feeds us. You are the giver of all good things. And we have nothing but thanksgiving that we ought to give to You because of Your mercy to us. Lord, we, of all people, were most deserving of Your wrath. We were sinners, enemies, dead in our trespasses and sins and for some reason you chose to come to us that while we were your enemies Christ died for us. So Lord, we understand and are reminded of your great mercy that you've shown to us. How can we not be humble and thankful for it? And how can we not respond by showing mercy to others? Lord, we pray that you would help us in this way. Remind us of your faithfulness and show us where we need to improve. Forgive us for turning turning against you when you've shown us nothing but love and mercy. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.